Let me pray before I start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have been uh, doing among us this morning. We thank you that um, though you are the creator of the whole world, you have come close to us time and time again and have not left us. Thank you that you have come to us in your son, lived and died for us. And we give you all praise and all glory. You are worthy, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm going to talk this morning about the Sabbath. And um, we're in this series on practices. Uh, We've called it the Ancient Paths. And um, this is the last one. And then next week, as Johnny said, we're going to start a series on vision. And uh, we thought, well, what practice haven't we looked at yet? And uh, we've looked at a few. I'll come back to those in a bit. But one of the ones we haven't looked at is Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath. This idea that um, from the earliest times, um, the Jewish people, God's people, the Israelites, were told by God to keep a day a week holy. Um, Not just to lay about and be lazy and just rest and not do any work, but to keep it holy for the Lord. Every other day... You can work on, do your day-to-day business, mow the lawn, um, do whatever you need to do. But on this day, God says, keep it holy. And um, so that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about this morning. And um, the origins of the Sabbath really come from uh, the creation of the world. And that God, the creator God, fashioned the world uh, with a word and brought to life what had not existed out of nothing, he brought life. And um, into this reality, he speaks goodness and life and joy. And uh, the this Bible starts with a poem about this creation. And uh, there's this little kind of refrain that goes through that poem. Each day, God creates. And at the end of each day, he says it was good. He looks at what he has made. There was nothing, and then he made something, and he says it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. And at the end, he makes human beings, man and woman, and he says, it's very good. And then something unusual happens in that story. There's a twist in the poem at the end. There's not another day of normalness. There's not another day of creation, not another day of creativity. God, it says, the God of creation, Father, Son, and Spirit, stops. And the word there is sabbaths, sabbaths. He stops and he rests. He created the world in six days. And on the last day, he stops and he rests. He has said, if you like, that it was very good. And then he stops. And, if, and this is the rabbi say, God took a day to enjoy what he had made. We have a God, church, that um, rests. We have a God who delights, who is not continually at work. We have a God who doesn't need creation, but who wanted to make creation, and who delights in it, who looks at it and delights in it. I don't know what sort of God you believe exists. I don't know whether you believe God exists. And if you do, I don't know what your God is like. There's these old scriptures that were written around the same time as the Old Testament, and they were from another people group, not God's people. And in these scriptures, the gods created the heavens, and then they rested too. But the reason they rested was that so human beings could do the work. And they sat back and they kind of like put their feet up and they told the human beings, now you get on with it. 
And each day, this group of people who had these scriptures would come together. And when it got to the Sabbath day, their Sabbath day, their day of rest, they worked so hard because they believed that they had to keep the gods happy, that the gods had given them this day to make them happy. And they worked hard and hard and hard as if you like to sort of pacify the gods. And they, um, the scriptures we have, our scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, do not talk about that sort of a God. God is not in heaven um, waiting for you to work to please him. God is not in heaven waiting for you to do enough, to be good enough. Um, our God is in heaven resting, delighting in the world. We have a God who delights, who sabbaths, who rests. That's the origins of Sabbath. And you know what happens in the New Testament when we get to Hebrews? The writer to the Hebrews says that um, um, Sabbath is a descriptor of what Jesus has done. And he says, you know, God in the, in the beginning rested, and then Jesus came, he lived, and he died, and he achieved perfect rest, perfect peace, and uh, he has caused a new Sabbath. Now, um, we live, therefore, in the time between times. We live between what God has done in the beginning and what God will do at the end and what God has done in Jesus. That's the time that we live in, the time between times, this tension time. We live in this time between Sabbaths. The best way to think about Sabbath, if you like, is this idea that um, all is well. All is well. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Um, sorry, I'm mumbling a bit here because I feel that God has um, been at work this morning. That in some sense, we have experienced something of this this morning. You know, you get those moments where all is well with the world, right? You just get those, those moments. And you, you know in your heart that all isn't well with the world, right? I could sit here now and stand here now and list you reasons why the world is not okay. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But you know, you have just those moments where in that moment, it might just be an instant, all is well. You know, you're sat down with your family, right? And it's messy and there's nappies everywhere and one of them is chewing a plug. <laughs> and you're sat down and it just in that moment, I don't know what it is, whether it's for us it's breakfast, for you it might be lunch or dinner or something. And it's just like everything is okay with the world. Do you know those moments? It's like, oh, yes. There's a, a that, I've forgotten the name of that band, but they sing that song and they say that line, you know, one day like this a year would see me right. But if I could just have one day like this a year, everything would be okay. And it's those moments, those moments where everything is okay. You're out with your friends in a club and you're dancing away and it's just another night, but then you just get to catch a glimpse. These are my friends. These are people who love me. These are people I've journeyed with. They love me, I love that. Everything, just in that moment, and then it, it might be gone, but just in that moment, everything is okay. I was hearing this week about somebody who climbs mountains and they climb this most ferocious mountains, the most dangerous mountains. And the reason they do it is because they say when they're doing it, they feel like life, like vitality. Everything is okay in that moment. They delight in the world. Everything seems well. That's what God is doing on Sabbath. He creates the world in six days, and he sits and he rests. He delights, and all is well. And we, church, live in the time between when Jesus rose from the dead, he died on a cross, and it seemed that all wasn't well. There was darkness. And then on the third day, he burst from the tomb, and the writer to the Hebrews says, all was well. There is a Sabbath. Those moments that we catch only a glimpse of around the dinner table with our, with our family or in the club with our friends or at the top of a mountain, whatever it is for you, those moments are little glimpses of what actually is true. That is actually true. 
God wants us to see that that's not just like a blip in an otherwise fractured world. That is the deepest reality. When Jesus bursts from the tomb, the writer of the Hebrews describes it as Sabbath. He says, all is well. And then he says, there is a picture of the end. All will be well. God will make the world like that. Those moments we only catch a glimpse of, God says, I promise to make that true for you, for your family, for the whole of creation. All will be well. For Nottingham, for this church, all will be well. He promises it. All will be well. Those moments we catch only a little oh, of. He promises to make it true of us. And we live in the time between times. Jesus burst from the tomb. That happened. That's the, it's like shoots coming up of a, of a, out of the ground, out of a dusty, dry ground. New shoots, new life is bursting forth all around us. And then it will be true. But at the moment, we live in the time between times. We live in the time between. We catch only a glimpse of it. Only a little glimpse because the reality is the world isn't like that all the time. And so what I want to say is that practices, the practices we've been looking at, whether it's reading the Psalms, saying the Lord's Prayer, what those practices are, are giving us the language, the voice, changing our hearts to be the sort of people, the resurrection people in an otherwise dark world. Right? They're changing us to be the people of light, the people of resurrection, the people of the end times in the present time. Right? Jesus burst from the tomb, new life. And what these practices are trying to, to change us to is to say, this is who we are. Practices help us to increasingly live in the light of God's reality. We read the Psalms to give us the language to do it. We say the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, to, rem- to remind us that that is our deepest prayer. Um, we say the examine to check our lives. Have I been living this day in, in light or have I been living in darkness? Where's the areas of darkness I need to change? Where are the areas of light that I need to bring forth more? That's what we do the examine for. And we lament. We lament. Why do we lament? We lament because we have seen Jesus burst from the tomb and we've seen the end and it's not enough in the here and now. It's not happening around us. We have seen God's reality, God's new reality. And when we go out into the world, when we go out into the city, We don't see it. And so we lament. Um, There are too many families in this world that never get those, oh, moments. There are too many families right now in Europe walking around Europe, having fled their countries and their homes, who do not have anywhere to go. They would love to have a mountaintop experience. They would love to have a moment of, oh, and they do not get those moments. There are too many people in our city who at this point are living in darkness. There are too many people even in our church who when we talk about praise and when we talk about um, giving our lives to Jesus just cannot imagine what that looks like because of the pain that they are holding within themselves. And so we lament and we say, no, God, we have seen what you have promised and we have seen what you have done in Jesus. Please, please, please make it true of the world. That's why we lament. That's what lament is from the deepest core inside us. We have seen the end. If you didn't see the end, if you, didn't know, if you didn't know what God was going to do, if you didn't know there was a God, you would just say this is the way the world is. Some people get lucky, some people don't get lucky. Some people are happy, some people are sad. It's just the way it is. That's not our story. Our story is we believe in a good God who created a good world, who delights in it. A Jesus who bursts from the tomb brings life and a Jesus who will come again to bring life and therefore we lament in the here and now. This is what practices are doing, helping us increasingly to live in the light of God's reality. Gone on. Okay, can I go to the next slide? 
Deuteronomy 5 then is about Sabbath, this particular practice of the Sabbath, of taking a day and giving it to the Lord, a holy day. And I don't know what that day for you might look like. It might be a Sunday where we have church. Um, It might be that this is just a good practice for you and for your family. It might not be. It might be it's another day of the week that works for you. But I would encourage us increasingly, and this is a hard um, challenge that God gives us. It's a hard command to take a 24-hour period, and I think he's quite serious about that, a 24-hour period away from normality and to give it to him. And again, I don't know what that looks like for you. You might encounter God in silence. You might encounter God in music. You might encounter God in painting and creativity. Whatever it is for you, do it and give it to God for a day. I think that's what God is is calling us to do. So I don't know what it's going to look like for you, what the outcome of this talk might be for you. But I challenge you to go away and increasingly try and we, you, listen, we're going to struggle with this. We're going to find this hard. But increasingly, see if we can bring to life in our, in our lives, bring to reality, a day a week, a 24-hour period that we give to God. I think that's what God is calling us to. What I want us to see, though, is the reason why he gives it to them. Right? So in Deuteronomy, God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments. You might be quite familiar with those. Um, he, God comes and he, uh, Moses comes down the, the, the uh, mountain with these tablets of stone, 10 things written on them, 10 rules, 10 observances. Now, the first three are all about God, right? Love God, don't make an idol, don't take the Lord's name in vain. The first one, which is kind of about us and our behavior, if you like, is the Sabbath. And that's significant. Before murder, people, before stealing, before theft, what do we do? We do observe the Sabbath. That's really important. I wonder how many people, if you ask them, you know, what does the church stand for, if they'd say, you know, the church stands for rest and delight and enjoyment i wonder how many people would say that of the church they might say murder and theft how many people would say rest delight enjoyment but god gives them this sabbath but what interests me is the reason that he gives it to them if you look in verse um, 12 observe the sabbath sabbath day god says by keeping it holy as the lord your god has commanded you six days you should work And then jump with me to verse 15. This is the reason God tells his people, the Israelites, to take a Sabbath day, a 24-hour period. This is the reason. Remember, he says, that you, the Israelites, were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Remember, he says, that you were slaves and I brought you out. Therefore, observe the Sabbath. It's not completely clear. It's not completely clear. That point, by the way, about actively passive, I'm, I'm going to leave that and I'll come back to that another week. It's not completely clear, though, why God gives them this Sabbath. Here's what I want to explain. When um, the Israelites were in Egypt, um, they were slaves. Um, they were in bondage. They were not free. Pharaoh and his armies ruled over them. And uh, every day they had to work. And the rabbis say that part of their work was making bricks. So they would have like a quota of bricks. You know, you are going to make, you know, you're a fit young man. You're going to make 20 bricks a day. You're not so fit. I want you to make 15 bricks a day. I'm not pointing at anyone in particular here. (laughs) Um, uh, And uh, you had a quota of bricks that you had to make every day. And um, over time, obviously, that, that forms who you are. You have to make bricks. That's, you, that's your identity. And then what happens is this amazing story of the Exodus. God saves his people. This is the most you know, significant salvation story in the Old Testament. God saves his people, brings them out of Egypt, and brings them into a new reality. We as Christians have, been, uh, have had the same process. 
God has brought us out, it says, out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. A new reality. Out of here, into here, through baptism, into here, just as he's done with his, with his people. And the practices, I'm saying, are ways of forming who we are in this, rea- in this new reality. We used to be formed in this reality, now we're being formed in this one. And God takes his people out of here, brings them into here, and he gives them these laws in order to form them. In Egypt, their identity was how many bricks they made. That was their identity. That was their daily work. If you ask an Egyptian who, who an uh, Israelite was, they would say they're the ones who make the bricks. The Israelites' worth, their value, was how many bricks they produced each day. What God is saying is, I have rescued you from that world and brought you into a new one. Your worth is not how many bricks you make each day. Your worth is that I have loved you and I have rescued you and brought you into a freedom. That is your identity. The Israelites here had a certain worth. And what happens when you have a worth like that, when someone gives you a worth like that, is is it slowly starts to change who you are. It becomes your narrative. It becomes what you believe. My value, my significance to the world is the amount of bricks I produce. They don't care who I am. They don't care what my name is, what my family background is, what I'm going through, the pain, the struggles. They don't care the loss that I've got. All they're interested in is how many bricks I produce. And so if I produce enough bricks, I'll be okay. And God is saying, no, no, no. You have a new reality now. Take one day a week where you will not work. You will not produce anything. You will have no value to the world whatsoever. You will not have an output. You will not have a product that you will create that someone will value. You will take one day a week to remind yourself that I am God and I have loved you and your value is that I have loved you and chosen you. That's your value. Nothing else. That's what the Sabbath is about. And church, I really... we. What if we can make that our reality? What if we could bring that to some sort of fruit in our lives? That we could take a day to remind ourselves the same thing. So I want to talk a little bit about the brick game. Right? The game of the bricks. What is it that gives your life value? Or, or better, what is it that you try to make, that you try to produce to give your life value? What game are you playing? You know, it's not bricks, is it? I don't, maybe some of you here make bricks. I don't know. <laughs> But for some of us, you know, it's likes or followers or, um, you know, um, retweets. Uh, For some of us, it is our work that gives us value. The grades we got, um, the the degrees that we have, the number of words we've written, uh, the affirmations we receive. What is it that we use day by day to get us through? that gives us some sort of value because we, we're all crying out for value and significance. Right? God has made us to have value and significance and so we're looking for it somewhere and we'll try and find it. We'll try and find it. And, uh, you know, we've all got one of these and um, what I, some, one of the things I did want to say today is whatever a Sabbath looks like, I, I really believe in that 24-hour period for lots of us it's going to look like putting this down. Um, you know, computers, phones, because for so many of us, it's this that gives us our significance. Right? If enough people look at that photo, or if enough people look at my profile and work out the sort of person I'm trying to present to the world, then I'll be okay. What is your brick game? What is it that gives you value? God is calling you out and saying, no, 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 that's not how I see you. Your value is not what you produce. Your value is in the fact that I have chosen you and I've loved you and I've given you my son. That's your value. Um, 
I went to university with, um, this is a good sentence, this. You ready? <laughs> I went to university with uh, Prince William and Kate. True story. And um, thank you. <clears throat> I, my, f my first year was his and her fourth year. And um, here's the interesting thing about them. I, uh, I saw them in a field once. They were, uh, William was playing rugby. Wills was um, <laughs> <coughs> playing rugby. And Kate was watching. And he was sort of caked in mud. And she was wearing um, welly boots and sort of like a, you know, probably a barber jacket. And um, I remember that, that image was in my mind when I was watching their wedding. And it was incredible to watch their wedding. Really beautiful day. That was one of those sort of awe moments for lots of us. A really beautiful day. This young couple in love. And there she was, Kate, on the balcony of Buckingham Palace, right at the heart of power in our nation, right at the very heart of it, in that family, that family, you know. And so I had these two images in my mind when I was watching that. On the one hand, I saw the girl in the dress, the princess, the future queen on the balcony. But in the other part of my brain, I had this image of Kate Middleton in a field watching her, you know, boyfriend play rugby. And that contrast really interested me. What happened to Kate in her life was that she became a princess. Her, her behavior, let's go with this, her behavior didn't kind of change, but her identity changed in a massive way. So that day, she married Prince William, and she became queen and uh, she became princess and future queen. But she was still the same person. She was still that person in the field with her boots on, you know, watching. But she became a princess. And for me, it was, I, I remember that day, actually, God saying, this will be a good sermon illustration. But I remember, <laughs> I, remember, I remember thinking, what an incredible image of our reality before God. And the kids today, when Kirsten asked me, what shall I do for the kids? I said, well, why don't you talk about the fact that they are prince, princes and princesses in God's eyes. That's how God sees them. That their core identity is that they are princes and princesses. And so she's making crowns with them this morning. So when they come back in, you'll see their crowns. And I said, and what we're talking about in here is that on the Sabbath day, God, we remind ourselves particularly, it's true of us every day, but we remind ourselves particularly that God sees us as a prince and a princess. That he's not interested in what we produce or don't produce, whether we consume or don't consume. What he's interested in is our core identity. He sees us as a prince. Um, and so that's what they're doing in kids' church. And it just struck me that, what an incredible image of who we are. Uh, we are princes and princesses. And it's so sort of twee that you might just remember it. You are a prince and a princess in, in God's eyes. Um, and you might feel like you're that person in the field with the welly boots on. And you're looking at yourself thinking, how on earth could I be a prince or a princess in God's eyes? And what happened to Kate was that her identity changed. And over time, she had to learn what it meant to be that. That's what practices are doing. She had to learn to start you know, with the cutlery from the outside and work your way in. And how to speak to civil servants. And how to greet the queen. And how to exist in that family. It all it's now true, deeply true of who she is. But at that point, it was just an identity that was given to her. You have been given an identity by Jesus Christ. And Hebrews writes about that the Sabbath, the eternal rest that God promises us, is earned not by us, but by Jesus. He himself, it says, is the great high priest who goes into God's presence, who grabs hold of rest. 
the rest that the world needs, the healing, the peace, the joy, the life that the world needs. And he gives it as gift. It has been given to you as gift. You are a prince. You are a princess. And what these practices are doing and what the Sabbath will do if we take this day a week will increasingly shape our hearts so that it becomes true of, deeply true of who we are. Amen? Can I go to the next slide? Next one. Next one. Uh, yeah, let's go to the next one. So here's what I want to say just as I end. Um, you are the beloved of God. Just as God looked at his people and said, your identity is not the bricks you produce, but the fact that I love you. You are the beloved of God, church. And what the world needs, what our city needs, is not a group of people who are looking for self-fulfillment, looking to um, just uh, get everything they can out of life, and God is just that answer to the thing that they're looking for. What they need is a group of people who know deeply inside themselves that they are the beloved of God, that they can rest in God. For lots of us, the Sabbath will be quite revealing. If we take a 24-hour period without phones, without technology, without the affirmations of the bricks, without those things, it's going to be quite revealing, actually, what's in our hearts, what we need. And the journey of our lives, church, will be this journey towards realizing that we are the beloved of God. And this is where the language is quite significant. I'll end with this. Sabbath is not about resting so much. It's about stopping. And the language of Sabbath in Genesis when God created the world is not actually rest. It doesn't say God rested. In some versions it does. But in the Hebrew, Sabbath doesn't carry that meaning. Sabbath carries the meaning of stop. Because the problem with talking about rest is that it can imply, isn't God kind of give, to give us this day where I can carry on my normal life and then I get this one day a week to kind of get back my energy and then I'll carry on again and I'll keep making the bricks. Right? And then I sort of have this day away from it all, breathe in, and then I'll carry on. It's self-fulfillment. It's the same journey. It's the same journey. What the Sabbath is, is the climax of the week. The climax of the week where we realize that's our true identity, that we are the beloved. Not rest so that we can just carry on. Stop. Stop. End it. Kill it. Kill all those things. Stop. Remember that you are the beloved of God, and our lives will be a journey, an adventure, towards making that reality true of ourselves, that we are not lovers of God so much as beloved of God. Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, you know, some of you know God, and then he corrects himself, he stops and he says, no, no, not know God, are known by God. What a wonderful correction to make. Some of you thought you knew God. No, 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 you're known by God. May we all have our realities changed as we take this Sabbath day so that we might realize that we are the beloved of God.